If you have a way of seeing God's Word this morning, turn to Psalm 119. There's going to be several places we're going to look in God's Word this morning uh, as we uh, look into the whole idea of experiencing God. Uh, we are in week five of this, uh, unit five, for those of you who are doing your homework there. Now, the thing that we've learned so far as it relates to experiencing God is that God is always at work around us. I think we pretty much have that one down. Secondly, God pursues a love relationship with us that is real and personal. Now, think about that. The God of the universe desires to have a relationship with us that is something that is real. It's something that is in us that desires to grow with us. And then thirdly, God invites us to become involved with him in his work. Can you think of any greater way to serve God than join him in his work to those, about those things that are close to his heart? But then fourthly, and this is what we'll be studying this week, God speaks by way of the Holy Spirit through his word, through prayer, circumstances, even the church, to reveal his purposes and his ways, but not only that, himself. So I want you to think about that. God desires to reveal himself to you. All through God's word, we read that type of language. So today we're going to be uh, look at the uh, unit five, the way God speaks. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see that God had some pretty creative ways in the way he spoke. Think about it. Angels spoke. Think about it. A burning bush spoke. When you really get down to it, you can see that many people believe the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, who was the angel of the Lord, he spoke on several and many occasions. And so when you begin to look at this, you begin to say, okay, that's how he spoke in the Old Testament. Jesus shows up in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels. He's the spitting image of God. He is God. And as a result, everything he says is the words of God, the revelation of God. So much so that John wrote that he not only was, uh, was with, the, with the word, he was also the word itself. And then we come to where we are today. How does God speak today? God speaks primarily. What we know about how he speaks to us is through his word by way of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a combination between those things. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So as a way of introduction, I want to give you some of the summary state statements in experiencing God that we have in unit five. First of all, God's word, truth, is never discovered. It is revealed. Think about that. It's not like we go through his word to discover something. Actually, we can discover it. But the thing we've got to understand is the premise of what we have discovered has already been revealed by God. So when we read this, it may be a discovery for us, but it really was just something God had revealed all along. And then secondly, the understanding of spiritual truth is a result of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. So when we begin to understand his word, when we are able to formulate his word into our lives and we see it through the lens of God's word, it is the Holy Spirit who operates in us and within us to reveal those things. And then thirdly, therefore, understanding spiritual truth does not lead us to an encounter with God. Think about it. It is the encounter with God. Now, that's pretty powerful when you think about it. First of all, that the God of the universe wants to speak to us. 
that he wants to reveal himself to us, his plans, his ways. And the thing that we need to see is that, is that that may be something to encounter us, to do something, but when you think about it, him speaking to us is the encounter. And that's pretty powerful when you think about it. So this morning, first of all, let's look at the idea how God speaks through his word. And the first thing that we learn, and we've learned this before, if you've been to any Bible study I've taught, I think this is some of the key information in understanding God's Word, is to understand how does it come about. And the first thing we see here is this, by revelation. God speaks by revelation. Literally, God revealing Himself to creation. Now, revelation, think of it, is the act of revealing His nature, His plans, and his expectations to us. So when you begin to look into God's word and you begin to look at what's on the pages of God's word, what you're looking at is the revelation that comes from God. But there's also another way of looking at it. Revelation comes to us really in primarily two ways. And many of you know this. The first is what is called general revelation. And it's through nature and conscience. Now, the thing I want you to think about is this. The Bible says only the fool believes there's no God. Now, where does that come from? Well, I believe it comes from the mere fact, just look around. Look around at the creation that God has, that what he's created. I don't know about you, and I've told you this many times, I love the animal planet type stuff. Now, I don't, I don't get into their ways of thoughts of evolution, but I will tell you, I love to see God's creation on display. I love to see how he created little microorganisms and then he's created these things and those things and you begin to see that there's purpose, there's intentionality behind everything that he's created. And that's one way that God reveals himself to us. In Psalms 19 verse one, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. This is, it, it presents God as an artist. And if you believe God didn't create it all, the Bible says you're a fool. You're a fool. But then let's look at Romans chapter 1. I want to read to you a couple of verses from there. Verse 20 says this. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. God's invisible attributes. Are, while we don't see God himself, there's things that reveal that he's there. And it says this, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That means everyone who's ever walked the face of the planet, when they walk the face of the planet, when they see the creation, they are without excuse because there is the evidence of God everywhere, everywhere, a creator. And that's what we see. Paul writes this. And then he goes on. He says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him nor were thankful. They looked around and they saw the, the magnitudes of the heavens. They began to look around. And they saw the artistry in which God created this world. And yet they were not, they didn't glorify him through that. And they were unthankful, ungrateful, but became futile. Here's what it led to. They became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened to the point that professing to be wise, they became fools. I don't know about you, but I'm seeing this play out in our world all the time. All the time. And it's basically the idea that they worship the creation instead of the creator. And we see that. 
So we see that there's not only general revelation that shows up from nature and conscience, but also we see in God's Word, there's specific revelation, specific. And it comes by way of prayer and God's Word itself. In Psalms 119, I want to show you several verses in Psalm 119. The psalmist is basically talking about the declaration of God. He's talking about how God has revealed himself and the ways he's revealed himself and in the different kinds of ways he reveals himself. So in Psalm 119, look at verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to what? Your word. Verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Verse 26, I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Verse 30, I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. Verse 99, if you'll flip over there. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Verse 101. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. Verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, what the psalmist is trying to get us to see is that everything that we need to live this life, everything that we need to understand God's best plan and best way for us is found in the words of his, of his scripture and the way he's revealed himself. So therefore, God's word, as we said before, is never discovered, it's revealed. And that's what God desires to do in each of our hearts, in each of our hearts. Secondly, not only do we see revelation, but Secondly, we see interpretation, determining the meaning of God's Word. Now, how many of you at times find that difficult? I think we've all been there, right? We're reading God's Word, and, and, and I've heard people, I, I heard someone the other day, a, a, a newer Christian, and they were talking about where they were reading God's Word and, and, and how they've gone. They found some of it very confusing, and, and I get that. I've, I've been there myself. But the point is that when we go into God's Word, it is our attempt. I want you to think of it. A lot of how we read God's Word is why are we reading it in the first place? It should be our attempt to understand more clearly the heart of God and His intentions for us. And so when I go to God's Word, I'm not reading a history book necessarily. I'm not reading a book that's going to offer me a little more wisdom so I can get on through my life. No, I'm actually hearing the revelation of God himself and how he can speak to my heart. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, look here on the screen. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. And here's what he's thanking God for about them. Because when you receive the word of God, which you hear from us, you welcomed it. Now think about it. The idea that you received and then you welcomed it. It's not just one thing that you received it, you welcomed it. Now think about that. It literally means you eagerly accepted it. It's like seeing a long lost friend and running to embrace that friend. That is the vocabulary in which Paul is saying about their excitement for God's word. 
It's like a friend that's off in the distance, and you see them. You haven't seen them for a long time, but you go, and you wrap your arms around them. You welcome it. You eagerly desire something of it. And he says, you welcomed it. He says this, not as the word of men, but as it is, as it truly is, truth, the word of God, which, think of this, also effectively works in you who believe. It literally means that you received it, you welcomed it, you welcomed it as truth, and as a result, it's going to accomplish much in your life. That is what Paul's trying to tell them here. So you received and welcomed God's word as it should be received as, as truth and life transforming. That's really what he's talking about when he says effectively works. It's truth that is there, that is in place to bring transformation to your life. And again, here, here's the language he's using. It's not just the fact that we eagerly accept it, but we desperately need it. We desperately need it. Let me ask you a, a simple question. How many of you have desperately needed a word from God before? You, you know what I'm talking about? And, and you're sitting there and you're, you're, maybe it is about a decision you need to make. Sometimes maybe it's just you need to be comforted by his word or you need to be comforted by his presence through his word. But you're sitting there, many of us find ourselves there, and we're eagerly waiting that if God has something for us, we want to welcome it into our lives. Man, that is a great place to be when it comes to your life. But here, what is he talking about? He's talking about revelation. He's talking about interpretation. How we interpret it means everything. And for me, interpretation, now I understand inductive Bible studies. I understand all that, trying to find the true meaning of the text. I, many of you know what I'm talking about. But here's really it on the bottom shelf. Interpretation, I'm convinced, many times comes through the question, what am I seeking from God's Word? What am I seeking from God's Word? And the interpretation many times comes from why you're reading it in the first place. If you're looking to read a history book, then you're going to have the interpretation through historical means. If you're looking at it as nourishment for your soul, that's going to take on an entirely different meaning. And the interpretation will, re will reveal itself in and through that. So we have God revealing himself, our attempt at understanding it through interpretation. But then here's the key, by illumination. Illumination, the Holy Spirit's work of bringing understanding. Now, I want you to think about that. I got God, he's revealed himself. He's revealed himself in a specific way. I'm attempting to understand it accurately. But not only that, there's something that comes alongside of me that helps me even in that. And it's the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who helps direct the study, helps direct my reading, helps direct the meaning behind a lot of what I'm reading here. Now, let me just say this. Many of you are, are great students of God's Word. I've heard some of you talk about it. Some of you, uh, you, you look at study Bibles. You want to understand it more meaningful in a, in a way to, to study it through a study Bible. Some of you have internet sites you go to to help you understand, have come to greater reasoning. And I understand all that. And those are great things. But did you know that those things are not necessarily needed in many ways? That the Holy Spirit of God 
can work in and through you in such a way that clarity can come just from that. It can. And God wants to speak to us that clearly. So how does he illuminate his word? How does it happen? First of all, there's this idea of logos. And I've shared this with you on numerous occasions, but it's something we got to understand. It's the written word of God. The written word of God. This right here is logos. Right here. This is logos. Okay? The written word of God. Now, what does Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4? He says, preach the word. Okay? For us, it means this. This is the revealed word of God. This is what we're building our life upon. This is why we're asking the Holy Spirit to teach us from this, to declare God's greatness from this. And so we're seeking that. So he says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, and through it, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. But let me, let me help you with this. The written word of God is something that must be, and this is what I've learned over the years, it must be meditated upon. Now, some of you are like, you're getting into new age stuff when you're talking about meditation, aren't you? No, I'm not talking. Look, meditation came long before, before this new age stuff, okay? Let me tell you what meditating the word, on the word means. Yeah, how many of you ever seen, how many of you, um, I, I got a thing I do. It's kind of embarrassing. But when I pass a cow pasture, I think I've shared this with some of you. I like to try to get a reaction from the cows. I, I don't know about you, but I'll honk the horn. I just, you know, and I just want to see, will they even look at me? Will they have any, will they, do, do they even know I'm here, you know? And how many of you know this? How many, does anybody else do this? Okay, I'm the only one. Okay, okay, all right. But, but, but I've noticed that the little calves, they'll look up. I love it when the calf does that. The, the cow just keeps eating. But when the cow gets all that in their mouth, they get the, the, whatever they're doing there, that grass or whatever, the feed or whatever, they begin to what's called chew the cud. You, you know what I'm talking about? And it ain't a pretty sight. How many of you ever seen it? It's like the bottom jaw just kind of comes out and goes in a circle. I mean, how many of you have seen people eat that way? I have. I've seen it. I had a great-grandfather, and I, I, swear, I think he was out there looking at the cows and thought that is the way to consume food. I mean, it literally, I, mean, it's, I mean, what is the deal with that? But the point is, I'm trying to say, that's literally what meditation is. You're sitting there, and you're contemplating. Now, the picture you have here is just chewing the cud, right? Drawing from it, drawing nourish, nourishment from it, allowing something to happen through it. That is what it means to meditate on God's word. That's the word picture we have here. And so we see this. We see how it should look. And then there's a second way of illumination. It's not just through the written word of God, but the spoken word of God, the rhema, the rhema. Now, here's a good definition of what the rhema word is. A rhema is a message from God that can be received while reading the Bible about something that applies to a certain, a certain situation or current situation in which you're in need of something. Now, sometimes it's, God, I need a word from you. Now, let me tell you where it's not. It's not, okay, there it is. All right, uh, <laughs> that's not how that works. Listen, to, this, is where I, this is why I think a devotional life, a systematic devotional life is so important. 
Because if we believe God is sovereign, if he's orchestrating the events of our lives, if he's desiring to reveal himself to us, which we know he is, then if I have a devotional life that is disciplined, that is there, that is, I'm reading through these things, I've seen that all the time. God matches all those things up together, and all of a sudden there is a word that just kind of appears out of it. And oh man, you feel empowered at that moment. You feel the presence of God. It gets you all tingly inside. That's what I've noticed about it. And you know what? It comes. Listen, I haven't seen a, bur a bush burn yet. I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. Uh, there's not a lot of dreams that come my way that, that God's revealing things to me. But one way he does do is through my devotional life. When I begin to see something, and it's right there. And God uses the discipline of that moment with him in such a way that he just purely reveals himself to you. The first time I took experience in God, that's exactly how God revealed himself. I mean, Everywhere I touch, every unit, every week, it's almost like this is a word from God. You know why? Because I think it's inspirational. I think God has illuminated the writers, not just the word of God, but those, when you look at the Blackabees and all these people who put it all together and you hear them speak, it's just something that oozes from their heart to say, this is from God. And that's the way we need to take God's word, that it is from God. But not just that it sits out there, but that it finds its way into our very souls that we see the inner workings of God in and through our lives. It's literally a specific word or message from God. In, 10, in Romans 10, 17, Paul says, So then, faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So if I'm hearing... What I'm hearing is going to match the Word of God. You, you see what I'm saying? Our faith is built on Jesus Christ. How do we know Him? Through the Word of God. That's how we know Him. Okay? And we can receive that rhema message from Him. Now, if you will, turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. As you turn, listen to this. God's Word means nothing to us personally unless we receive it or welcome it. But then it must be seen in the context of our lives so that it can effectively work in us. Now, for God's word to work effectively in us, there's a final step to this process, okay? So we go from revelation, God wanting to reveal himself, to interpretation, we come to a correct understanding about what he's trying to tell us, illumination, where the Holy Spirit begins to work it and weave it into our hearts, where we start to see something come together. But then once all that's revealed, there's got to be application. Application. Determining the relevance of God's Word and then actively responding. Now, let me just say this. I think that many people come up short because they don't allow this whole process to play out in their life. They see, maybe they even say, yes, this is the word of God. I believe this is the word of God. And they read it, but it ends right there. They don't try to meditate on it necessarily. They don't try to think upon it. They don't try to focus on it enough for God to, to work it into their lives. That meditation that comes from the interpretation, illumination. And for some, they do. They go that far. 
But then they do nothing about it. Nothing about it. Let me, let me tell you what's happening here this morning. This is the attempt we're trying to make this morning. So you came in here this morning. You got up. You got ready. Had a little argument with your spouse. If you're married, you know, that kind of thing. I'm sure that happens. So the enemy likes to get in there somehow, you know. But, but let's just say you come in here into this room. Here's what you need to understand. There have been people who were praying for the moment of God's worship to him and also the teaching of his word. There, there's a group that prays on, on these mornings. There's some who pray throughout the week. There's some who pray individually that God would give us a word this morning. That word can be for the church. That word can be for the individual. And so the prayer is that God would speak to us as a people, but also that God would speak to us personally. So we began to take what's been revealed to us. We attempt to bring interpretation to it. That's what we've been doing this morning. And then the illumination is when the Holy Spirit takes it from there. And he applies it to you and you and you. And it doesn't have to be the exact same way. L let me tell you how I know that. I learned that through a very interesting way. I've learned that through emails that I've received and words that are spoken to me as people leave. And here's what happens many times. This morning, when you were teaching God's word, God revealed something to me I had never seen before. And I'm sitting there and they begin to tell me <laughs> what they received, either as they leave or by way of email later in the week. And I'm sitting there thinking, I in no way said anything close to what they're talking about. <laughs> now, what do I have to attribute that to? That was the word of God. God was taking something that was revealed, tried to bring correct interpretation to it, and it was illuminated in such a way that the Holy Spirit spoke to this person in a specific way. Now, let me say this, and I've seen this. Suppose that Sunday, I, I hear that from someone as they leave, but later on the week, I get an email. And lo and behold, they got a word from God this morning. It spoke directly to them. Totally different than what that person said. We can only attribute that to the fact of something called illumination. But y'all, it can't end there. There's got to be application. What did God show you? Oh, good. Act on it then. Act on it. That's the only way it becomes what it, God desires it to be is when you act on it. Now, now, where do we get this from? Well, application. Look at the footnote on your outline. Questions concerning illumination and application. Is there a truth we should believe about God? For some of you, the greatest thing you may receive this morning is you've understood God in a more clear way about how he reveals himself. And you can worship in that and say, man, that's a word from God. For others, is there something we should trust God for? Is there a command we need to obey? Is there an attitude we need to change? Is there a motive we need to change? Is there a promise we can claim in our current situation? Is there someone we need to pray for? You see, God, and these are just a few questions. It can go further than that. So in James chapter one, James is telling us how you take the illuminated word of God and bring application to it and put the doing with it. So what he says in verse 21, therefore lay aside, he's basically saying, therefore now that you've lay aside, laid aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, that means there's been a change of direction in your heart, something has changed, 
and you and receive with meekness. Okay, you're going to put these things aside. Now you're going to receive and welcome with meekness. Now, when you receive something, God's here's what you got to understand. God's word was made available to you. Okay, that's the only way you're able to receive it because it was made available to you. Okay, so what does that tell me? I need to get in the path of God's word as much as I can. I need, I need to have a daily devotion. I need to come here to preaching and teaching of God's word. I need to put myself in the path of God's word so, but so that he can bring something, make something available to me where I can welcome it. How am I to welcome it? With meekness. That means I'm teachable. I'm teachable. There, there's a change of control. I've gone from determining in my own way, my filthiness of my own heart. There's a change of direction. I've welcomed God's word. Now, what's going to happen now? I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to be taught from it. Then he says, what, are we, what, what, what's, what kind of word is this? The implanted word. What does that mean? It's word that takes root. It becomes a part of us. It's not just this illumination where we see God in a different way or understand his expectation in a new way or whatever. It's me actually allowing it to root in my life in such a way I'm going to act upon it. You say, how do you know that? Because of what he says here next. He says, verse 22, but be doers of the word. Let it touch your mind, soul, and your body and not hearers only. What he's talking about is you passively heard a word from God. And then he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. When we are only hearers, we're deceiving ourselves. How do we know that? Because we make a miscalculation, a miscalculation. That's what it means to deceive yourself. And, and, and you think, well, I got a word from God. I felt good and everything, but you never did anything about it. You never, you never put any application to it. Now, I want to ask you a question. Don't raise your hand. I want you to think about this. How many of you in your past has received a word from God? You knew it come from him and you didn't follow through. You didn't follow through. That's tough. That's when we've, if you want to say, if you ever let the heart of God down, you did there. If we want to say, is there more presence of God and empowerment in God that we missed? right there. We missed it. We missed it. Does that mean we're, he's done with us? No, thank goodness. Aren't you glad? Thank goodness. No. No, the word can keep coming. We can continue to, to work in those things. So he says, be doers, of, be doers of the word, not only hearers, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and is not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. It's basically, he goes there, he sees it, it's very obvious what is there, but he walks away from it and he forgets, he forgets all about it. For he, verse 24, observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. That means it had no impact in his life. No impact. God set the table. He revealed. There was correct interpretation. There was illumination. The Holy Spirit even got involved in it. But, but here's, it had no impact on him because it didn't move him to act. Verse 25, but he looks into the perfect law of liberty. That's the way of freedom. That's God's best for you. It's God's best intention for you. And continues in it and is not a forgetful here. 
Okay, he's impactful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. They, you will see results. It will produce something in you unlike anything you possibly have ever seen before. It's the reason application is important. It's the reason we move from here to doer. And then he says, verse 25, 6, now this is practically what it could mean. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, if any of you think you've had a holy encounter, if anything you think God has illuminated something to you by the Holy Spirit in such a way in which he revealed himself, if that has truly happened, but deceives and does not bridle his tongue, that means there's not immediate application, he deceives his own heart, and this one's religion is useless. It's not impactful at all. You didn't learn anything from it. And then he says in verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. This is someone who's experienced a holy encounter from God's word. They will, when called upon, they will visit and be there for the least of these. They, they, they will be moved in such a way that they will help those who in no way could ever do anything for them. You, you know what I'm saying? And in this context, who's he saying those are? These are the orphans and the widows who are in trouble. And to keep oneself unspotted from the world, it's not just that we go help people and help those people who could do nothing in the world for us because we've been moved in such a way that God's moved on our heart. We're going to do that. It's one of the most selfless things we can do. But not only that, we're going to be unspotted from the world. In that moment, God's going to use it in such a way to create a dividing line between where he's working and where the world's working and we are choosing to work with him because we are doers of the word. Doers of the word. All right. You worn out yet? All right, let's keep moving. Now, how are we going to put all this together? So God speaks through his word. Secondly, God speaks through the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this comes from the Christian Standard Bible. This may be a little different if you read it, but this, this is a good, good interpretation, I believe. But the person without the spirit does not receive or accept what comes from the Spirit because it is foolishness to him. So the person is not of the Spirit. Now, how could we say that? The person who does not know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, a person who's never come into a relationship with God himself through Jesus, when they look at something that the Spirit does, it's crazy to them. It's foolish to them. It doesn't make any sense to them. Okay? He, it goes on, because, he is a full, because it's foolishness to him, he is not able to understand it since it is elevated spiritually. That means it has to, the correct understanding of certain things in our life has to come by way of the word of God, but all, not only that, by way of the Holy Spirit. That's the reason we who are believers in Jesus, those of us who are implant, allow God's word to be welcomed, received, and implanted in our hearts, when we look at the decisions that the world's making, we sit there and we're like, do what? Here's what that means. They look at our actions as foolishness. What does that also imply? We look at their actions as foolishness. We can't understand how they come to the conclusions they come to because there's a direct difference between the two. And, and, and let me just say this. We live in a society, listen, where generations ago, God's word and where the society was, was a lot closer then than it is today. 
And the further the chasm, the greater the chasm, the more likelihood of persecution, the more likelihood that things are really, you got to choose one or the other. And y'all, that's what we're being forced to do. Do you remember? Some of you remember. Now, has the, has the world ever been perfect? Has our society ever been perfect? Absolutely not. But were we more closely aligned? Yes. We can look back and say there was a time we were. But now we're not. And so there's some things. So, so what's happening here? Well, we're looking foolish to them. They're looking foolish to us. Great chasm. So the spiritual person, however, can elevate everything. Why can they do that? Because they're of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's working in you, in, in them. And yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. He's basically saying no one is capable of being spiritually elevated apart from the Holy Spirit of God. It's not possible to see things from the heart of God, from the vision of what God is doing and doing and looking at. Turn to John chapter 14. God speaks through the Holy Spirit. How does he do it? First of all, by indwelling us. As you turn to John 14, listen to this verse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, if you were talking to a Jew who was a part of the old covenant, they would look at you like you were crazy. That was probably blasphemous. Because to them, the temple is where God dwelled. The temple is where everything that we're going to know about God is going to come by way of that temple. And, and so to say that you are now the temple, boom, that's, big, that's a big deal. It's a big deal for them to call it blasphemy, but it's even a bigger deal because that's who we truly are. The temple of God. The Spirit of God indwells us. John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray, I will pray the Father, I will pray the Father, to the Father, and he will give you another helper. Okay, the helper we know is the Holy Spirit. That he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So how's he going to come to us? Well, one day, he's going to come to us personally. But in the meantime, the Spirit of God is the way he will reveal himself, his ways and his purposes. Secondly, God speaks through the Holy Spirit by comforting us. Look at verse 26 of John chapter 14. But the helper literally means the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. How many of you are grateful that the Holy Spirit can be a comforter? He is. Bible calls him that. Next, God speaks through the Holy Spirit by teaching us. The last part of verse 26. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I've said to you. He, when you need it, it's going to be there. How, how do we know that? Because the Holy Spirit's there. He's going to bring it. By convicting us. John chapter 16. Turn over a couple of pages. Verse 8. Jesus said, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He, basically, the Holy Spirit is going to come in such a way, especially in your life, that he'll convict you when you're wrong, and he'll encourage you when you're right. And he'll be, he alone will be the judge 
of those two things. That's what this is basically telling us. He will judge those things. Next, Holy Spirit speaks by guiding us. Look at verse 12 of 16. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He's basically saying, you, you, you can't, probably can't handle what I'm talking about. Now, where did this conversation start? It started in John chapter 14 when he said, I've got to go. And when I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am there, you may be also. In the meantime, please know that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So he's already telling them all these things that are heavy. And now he's getting ready to tell them something that's, that could potentially blow their mind. And he basically says, you can't bear them right now. Okay? Verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he's going to guide you into what? All the truth. All the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Next, Holy Spirit speaks uh, through us by glorifying Jesus through us. Look at verse 14 of 16. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Next, Holy Spirit speaks to us by assuring us. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We know we're children of God because we can identify with the Spirit. How do I identify with the Spirit? Well, when I'm off the path God wants me to, I'm going to be convicted by it. I'll be convicted. You say there's no conviction. I seem to be doing what I want to. Based on the authority of what we just, there's no Spirit in you. Spirit of God is not in you. What does the Bible say? He will convict you. He will lead you. He'll teach you. And from that will be the assurance that you are a child of God. That is the evidence because there's an inner working of the Holy Spirit in your life. Next, he does this. He gives us gifts. We don't have time to talk, talk about that. But lastly, God speaks to the Holy Spirit by empowering us. Acts chapter 1, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When's that going to take place? Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit comes, shakes the whole place. Starts to indwell the hearts of men and women. Starts to indwell. And all of a sudden there's empowerment. And all of a sudden there's understanding. And all of a sudden there's a God into what needs not be done and what needs to be done. God is bringing all that about. And by the way, let me just say this. The only hope for you is that the Holy Spirit is doing what Jesus said he'd do. The only hope for our church is that the Holy Spirit would do what he, Jesus said it would do. A nation, our only hope as a nation is for an outpouring of this one called the Holy Spirit. So in conclusion, God will never tell us something that does not align with his word. I, I want to give you a great caution here to understand this. God's word will link up with the word that, he's, that, that, that you're receiving. Okay? I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, someone will come to me and say, God has told me to do this. And I was able to go and say, I'm not so sure about that. Let me show you something and show them the truth. Now, that is as far as I can carry it. But you know what? Many people leave saying, I know it was from the word of God. And as they leave the door, I said, no, it ain't. 
right here, y'all. It's right here. It will always be consistent. When God speaks, it is utmost importance that we listen and respond in obedience. Because here's why. Because it's the best force. You want a fulfilling life? Walk obediently. You want a life that, that can free you of consequences that many people are living in? Live obediently. God makes it work. Here's our memory verse. John chapter 8, verse 47. Jesus said, the one who is from God listens to God's word. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. Do you know who Jesus was talking to when he said that? The Pharisees, the religious crowd of the day. Did you know that many of them, listen to this, could recite most of the Old Testament by heart? And yet, here's what he says. The one who is from God listens to God's word. This is why you don't listen because you're not from God. Oh my goodness, you mean the people who've memorized most of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament? Yep. So the question is this. Do you know him? Better question. How do you know him? You know him because Jesus Christ came, paid your sin debt, put you on a path that you could glorify God in and through your life. And then when Jesus left, here's what he said. I'm going to send someone that will help you in that venture. He's the Holy Spirit. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll convict you when you're wrong. He'll confirm things when they're right. And he will lead you down the path that's just best suited for you, ordained by God himself. So how does he speak? Through his word and through his Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you now. And we just thank you for your blessings, Lord. And when we look into your word, it's so obvious sometimes what it, what it looks like. But then there's those times where it kind of gets kind of distorted for some of us. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'll help us to, to rightly divide your word. That we would see it in such a way that would bring honor and glory to you. And Father, I just pray right now that you'll just convict us where we need to be convicted as it relates to your word. But Father, also that we would sense that your spirit is doing a great work in us, in us, through your word. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we conclude with this song?